little closer? Maybe that helps. Okay. Um, thank you, Don. Uh, Don also serves on the Northwest Endowment Fund Board. In fact, he's our current chair. So, Don and Scott, I would suggest that we convene a meeting over here to decide and just <laughs> be efficient with our time. Uh, I have to echo what <clears throat> Don um, expressed in his prayer. Um, this weekend is something that my wife Julie and I look forward to dearly. And we're so thankful you moved it up from four, week, four years to three. Um, <clears throat> we have no expectations about the future, but um, we, we pray for uh, more good blessings to continue. Uh, I have to share the serendipity for both uh, Julie and me uh, this weekend that the unexpected blessing has been the singing. Um, you know, this is our third third time. We expect wonderful things from Everett and Carlos, and they always deliver. And all of you, I I was going to bring up the schedule and go through the names and thank so many of you who have spoken. But then I'd leave out the women because I didn't go to the women's sessions. Um, all oh, so wonderful, but the singing. <laughs> so I was looking around. Um, during our singing tonight, wondered, well, did they put new acoustics in or something? And um, <clears throat> I'm teasing a bit, uh, but just the, the hearts behind the singing. We're going to look at a verse just briefly in a little bit uh, that refers to thousands and thousands of angels. And in our singing tonight, I got thinking, I wonder what that will sound like, <laughs> the singing, the praising. Um, the assignment I was given was the journey of a shepherd. And this, I think I got this back from Scott in July. <laughs> I wrestled, I tossed, I turned. Um, you know, if you're an elder, I would ask you, what approach would you take? Uh, there are many, many that you could take. Um, uh, I took an approach. <clears throat> It's personal, it's me, but I suspect it's common to, all, to most, if not all of us. Um, Julie and I were fortunate to spend the month of December in East Africa. We were visiting our daughter and son-in-law and uh, four grandchildren that are there. And I had a lot of time to sit and think. <laughs> and I wrestled with this topic a lot. I had a sort of an outline before. <clears throat> but it hit me that this needs to be a, uh, not necessarily about me, but for me. And so um, I have come up with seven phases of the journey or elements of the journey or aspects of the journey of, of eldering, of shepherding. And um, I gave myself a task of looking for a signature passage, in some cases two, for each of these phases or elements or aspects. Um, as, as Scott <clears throat> read the, 
the introduction there, uh, I've been an elder for 10 years. <laughs> um, my good friend, college classmate from Columbia Christian College days, actually, who's now clinical psychologist, refers to elder years as dog years. Each one is worth seven years. <laughs> and um, so it hit me one day, I need for myself some signature passages that I can uh, recall from memory when I go through situations that we all go through, the mountains and the valleys. <clears throat> and so here are the six, uh, pardon me, the seven um, phases. There is the charge. That's the initial charge. We'll look at that in a minute. We come back to it time and time again. I came back. I was confronted on Tuesday morning with the charge, a reminder of the charge in an interesting way. I'll share that. There is the refining. No end of work. No end of hard. I tried not to use the word discouragement in this, but there, you get the point. There is the phase of living by faith. Um, and for me, this has been one of the mountaintop parts of the journey. There is Satan's pushback. And what you don't see up there is that originally I titled that Satan's Attack. I still have it in one of the slides coming up. Um, but I was feeling <laughs> just a bit of enough of it, um, which I'll also explain. <clears throat> so Satan's pushback, kingdom growth. Um, it's wonderful when we get to be involved in kingdom growth. There are times when I feel like I'm seeing glimpses of heaven, glimpses of mountain peaks. And then there's the final stretch. There are two of these that are very close and personal to me right now. And <clears throat> so the second of my um, objectives tonight, after sharing these phases and some um, some passages to attach to each is to walk through with you a little bit a, a journey. A, a, I hope it's a micro journey. I hope part of it is a micro journey that my fellow elders and I are going through right now. I think I can say I have been through or experienced at least parts of each of the first six phases of, of this journey. I don't know if I have experienced parts of the final stretch or not. <laughs> I was preparing, going over my notes earlier and I said, yeah, I still have one stretch to go, the final stretch. I, none of us know that, do we? <clears throat> the most succinct version of the charge for elders uh, that I think I'm aware of is... Um, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul met the elders from Ephesus on the beach, he says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. It just occurred to me now, I could have counted the words. That's in the uh, New King James Version. That's pretty succinct. But uh, 
ten and a half years ago when I was first approached um, and we got into the discussion about becoming an elder, I'd look at that passage. I'd look at the First Peter 5 passage that came up uh, in one of the sessions earlier today. Um, wow. You want me <laughs> to shepherd the church that God bought with his own son's blood? Um, um, we understand, uh, you know, that we're not the chief shepherd, we're, we're just his shepherd, but there's, a, there's an impact to that. There's a weight. Um, and there's another verse, this is one of the phases for which I, just, I couldn't uh, not choose a second one. I've always thought that this passage in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians was written to the men of the church in general. That may be the case. My hunch, as I've studied it more, is that it was in fact written to elders, but that's neither here nor there. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This, this um, implied charge for elders hits me hard. My fellow elders refer to me as uh, the guy with compassion, the guy of mercy, the, the mercy elder. Um, I, I, for my own sake, I confessed in, I think it was that yesterday in one of the breakout sessions, yeah, it can take me a while to get my courage up to face a situation that needs to be faced. Um, on Tuesday, well, let me back quickly back up. <clears throat> I have come to believe that in large churches and small churches, the Lord provides the leadership, including the deacons, that that church needs. We're blessed in our body to have a deacon who was recently given the, he had another assignment, he was given more recently a legal liaison assignment. Um, and he was preparing a manual, <clears throat> you know, um, it, in my short decade as an elder, I've seen the um, ramp up, if you will, of uh, requirements, things that the church has to consider with respect to the government, and all. I, it's just like a steadily rising uh, tide. And so our eldership has tried to be proactive, and um, we're putting some documentation together. And this brother, this uh, deacon, um, began a certain paragraph with this phrase. The leaders of the church are charged with the care, feeding, and guidance of the flock to which they have been entrusted. I don't think you will find those words in scripture, but this uh, very mature, beloved um, deacon um, prefaced his, uh, his draft document with that. And I looked at that, <laughs> sitting in front of my laptop Tuesday morning, charged with the care, feeding, and guidance of the flock 
And he had to put the word, the trust word in there too. It just, the charge, the, the responsibility hit me again. Um, that's, I think, one part of the journey. And, and we loop back to it. Uh, not, we don't just deal with it in the beginning. There is also the refining. And I think for most of the last decade of my eldering experience, there has just been my if uh, if I had probably if my wife were to respond, what is what has been the big takeaway? Just work, 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 work. There, there's no end of it, and there is an end of hard. There are I should say there are uh, periods between hard, but it. Um, I identify with Brother Joe from uh, Oklahoma who was in the men's end of the journey uh, panel this afternoon saying, uh, get up each morning, pray you can be used, but then uh, try not to react against what the Lord ends up asking you to be used for that day. Um, You could... Put your own list of challenges up there to deal with. So I was looking for a passage for this one, um, and Psalm 136 came to me. This is the psalm, before I put it up on the screen, this is the psalm that years ago I had a rather low opinion of. Boy, that's an easy, cheap way to fill up a page is just to repeat a certain phrase over and over and over and over again. I completely missed the point of that. Psalm 136 has 26 verses in it. There are two phrases in each verse. Something God did, and then this refrain. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And after verse 1, it's repeated 25 more times. Sitting in the chair in the yard at my uh, daughter and son-in-law's house in Tanzania last month, it hit me. Uh, partly it hit me because I, I went through my son-in-law's, their missionaries over there, I went through his library and found a little book, and I have two quotes from it here. This is the verse that I am um, committing to memory when I am burdened by the work. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. His steadfast love endures forever. Um, years ago, when I was a college student and then uh, early raising a family, um, I was aware of this uh, professor, this instructor. He used to be at, I think, was it Abilene Christian and then the Pepperdine, Tom Albright. He wrote a book, He Loves Forever, and it, um, it's about the Old Testament, the message of the Old Testament. And he, he did a little discussion on that phrase, steadfast love. I, have no, I never took Hebrew... I have no idea how you would pronounce a word that has three consonants and no vowels in it. But anyway, you can see it there. 
He says in Psalm 136, this phrase, the one that I've put up above, clearly shows that God's loving action on behalf of his people is inexhaustible. This repeated phrase, more than any other in the Old Testament, places in bold relief the central message. What is it? The God of Israel is simply a God who won't let up or give up. He is a God who loves forever, despite the rebellion and sinfulness of man. And I was over there working up this outline, this list, and I saw that, and the, the phrase, the second line from the bottom that's in bold face just jumped out at me, and it was one of those aha moments. God won't let up or give up. I know that intellectually. You do too. Um, yeah, there is no end of work as an elder, no end of hard. Um, but who am I, who am I um, serving? The God who not only won't give up or let up with his church, with humanity, but with me. Um, there's a phase of the journey which is living by faith, and by that I mean confidence that the story ends well. Um, we know this passage, in fact, it came up in one of the men's breakout sessions yesterday. Um, if You've, you've possibly done a study of uh, Joseph's life and all the kinds of losses. I think well, we had a Bible class on this at Southwest a couple of years ago. Are there a dozen different major categories of loss he experiences? We really don't get a clear insight in, into how he kept his attitude up. Um, but at the end... He tells his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And here's the second and last quote from that, that book. Uh, we know the story, but it was helpful to me to, to re, read the, uh, the summary of it here. No doubt there were periods along the way when Joseph wondered how anything of significance could turn up. He went from bad to worse, from his father's house to slavery to prison. But it, finally a turnaround occurred, and when it did, he ended up controlling the supplies for the whole earth. Joseph could see the involvement of the Lord. The Lord had in mind all the time that Joseph would be his servant through whom he would bless the nations. So we too, not knowing the outcome of our life's work, stand by faith, knowing that when our life is over, we can discern how God has worked through us to bless the peoples who inhabit this globe. That, by the way, was one of the messages I got from Joe and... Um, is it Ken, Mike, and uh, and um, Everett in the end of the journey um, discussion this afternoon? 
And here's the one that I had a hard time um, describing it for what it really is. Satan's attack. Attacks. Um, that's okay. I can keep going on. I also really appreciate Dan's uh, story that he shared with the men yesterday. That sounds a little bit like my story. (laughs) If we had more time, I would uh, share it with you. Um, Let's see. You know this, uh, Satan's pushback. Um, This passage also came up yesterday. Put on the full armor of God, Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he goes on and reemphasizes, put on the full armor of God. There's another passage that I have committed to myself (laughs) as a signature passage to remember with regard to Satan's pushback. Because if you remember from an early slide, this is one of two areas that I'm wrestling with right now, as are my fellow elders. And the other passage is this one. It's, uh, uh, I really don't like this passage. It's right after that very succinct version of the charge for elders in verse 28 that we opened with. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. The enemy is Satan. And the text is very clear that he's at war. Um, In September, um, the elders asked me to go down to uh, a conference that the, the church in Murfreesboro was hosting. I went down, our uh, our preaching minister and his wife went with us, and I was able to take one of our deacons also. Arrived there, it was a day and a half uh, program, uh, the New Day Conference, if you have heard of that. Very, very helpful. Uh, Arrived at, at the site, and immediately we went to separate breakout sessions, and I went to one for elders. It was facilitated by one of the elders at their Congregation Kimball Bullington. Among other things, he told us about a experience they had in 2012. This congregation um, launched a vision. They wanted 
They wanted to plant a large number of churches. They wanted to um, advance the kingdom on their watch and their time. Kimball shared the part of the story they don't share publicly. Uh, and his, his opening salvo was, when the kingdom grows, Satan advances. And he started to describe a number of uh, personal attacks that elders at that church had experienced. Um, we feel like we're experiencing some um, challenges as an eldership at Southwest. I, I want to tell you about that. I need to give you just a little bit of context. Um, but I think this passage that I'll put up here, which is a very familiar one, I think this accurately describes where my fellow elders and I feel like we are right now. 2 Corinthians 12.9 My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This story of where we are right now um, comes under this kingdom growth phase. Um, You know, well, let me uh, share these two passages with you. For a couple of years, um, we seven shepherds at Southwest have been looking at two very familiar passages, the Great Commission, and the, the short version of it is, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them, right? The the entire verse is important. But we're to go make disciples, baptize them and teach them. Make disciples, baptize, teach. And we've also spent a lot of time looking at another passage, the equipping passage of Ephesians 4. I'm just going to read the first part because we we know this passage. Equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Equip the saints. And so, um, you know how sometimes you'll look back, you'll look at your situation and you're you're trying to figure it out. You're, you're trying to understand the story that you're a part of. Um, that's what this line is right here. Um, reading a book together, a, a prayer ministry uh, element, a discipleship emphasis, a five-year vision, and attacks from Satan. Um, our eldership got into a habit earlier than 2017, but um, of reading a book together periodically. So we, we read that year, uh, Banishing Grace, the book by Philip Yancey. I don't know if you're familiar about it. It's not a book about doctrine, although it is about the doctrine of grace and how um, we need to live our lives so that we are graceful um, to people. Um, last year, we read uh, the book Biblical Eldership. I would strongly uh, recommend that book. I don't agree with everything in it. I um, appreciate the author for where he came from to get to 
what is largely a very biblical view of eldership. In fact, at our uh, elders' retreat coming up next month, we're going to discuss that book. But we've been reading these books. They've been generating some ideas. A year and a half ago, we appointed new deacons. There was a fellow that we asked uh, to serve in some particular role. He thought about it. He said he prayed. He came back to us and said, "Um, I'd like to serve as a deacon but I have another area in mind. Well, what is it? He said, prayer. I'd like to be the prayer deacon. Wait a minute. That has been wonderful. Among other things, he's organized a, uh, a periodic prayer evening where we come together at the building. Um, uh, we pray for an hour uh, as a large group, and then we break up into small groups for 35 minutes we follow a, an outline, a list of prayer topics that has uh, scripture in it, prayer requests, thanksgiving, a lot of thought. He puts a lot of thought into that. He has a team that works with him. There's also a uh, prayer warrior team that selects a weekly prayer scripture for the church. There are, uh, somehow this got extended to the children's Bible classes and in the, foyer, in the entrance to our children's Bible class area, there's that mailbox in the corner that says lion letters on it. And um, they're making an effort to train kids, the children, to go up, if they have a prayer request, go up there underneath that mailbox, pull out a slip, write their prayer request on it, pull the mailbox door down, put the request in, close the door. Then there's a team of um, widows who pray for those requests, and then they write notes and letters back to the children, and they're delivered them to them in Bible class the next, the next week. Anyway, that. So a pattern of, of reading leadership, reading books together, in addition to the scripture, um, prayer ministry, development, discipleship. So for three or four years, the elders at Southwest have had a focus on discipling men um, and women. Our our wives are are also doing a lot of discipling. They tend to be discipleship pairs, um, uh, one-on-one, or uh, I'm in one where there are two guys that I meet with and we we study a book of the Bible. it's an accountability group. Um, you know, uh, younger men in the church with families, um, some with challenges, but it keeps us in touch. It, some of these men uh, have the potential to become, if not deacons, elders. Um, as I mentioned, I took one of the deacons with me to uh, a, a spiritual leadership conference a few months back. We have benevolence deacons who handle pretty much all the benevolence requests. That is hard work. It's not unusual for them after a few years to say, I need a, I need a break. But we see some of our uh, new elder prospects coming out of this group. We've started asking deacons to make some pastoral calls, hospital visits, visiting the sick. Just... This month, we have, I put 
required in quotes because it's not a hard and fast requirement, but we're really encouraging um, that adult Bible classes be led by two, two men or two women, if it's a women's class. Um, that has turned out to be a great opportunity for mentorship between um, uh, the elder uh, or the deacon and the, the man he's co-teaching with. And then, and this takes us sort of to the current issue, um, we're praying about the possibility of a school of discipleship and Bible training. And um, Don, I don't know if you're aware, Barry, our minister, has talked with Darren about um, Don, uh, the minister at Don's church, about this. So the School of Discipleship is a component of a five-year vision that we suggested, we proposed to the congregation in a family talk on October 14. Um, There were a number of pieces to it. And we said that by 2023, our vision for the church is that we would have done equipping so that every member is a minister in the scriptural context of that word. We would be a church of life groups instead of just a church with life groups. The idea of getting smaller as we get larger. Um, That we would be known within five years as um, known in the community as offering relevant life and spiritual support. You might read Celebrate Recovery there. And we've had a lot of talk about, okay, what's that going to mean? And uh, we said, according to the Lord's blessing, we would like to be meeting in two full assemblies. We're a church of about 500. And a church plant. The church plant got a lot of response. (laughs) Anyway, for, for a couple of weeks, and by and large since, this charge, this vision, this idea has uh, energized the congregation. But almost two weeks to the day after we announced the vision, it began. Um, One of the things that our children's ministry started was something called play date, where uh, once a week, one afternoon or morning a week, Moms in the neighborhood uh, can come, bring their kids, just play, have a cup of coffee in the, in the fellowship hall. It's a service to them. Um, our own, some of our own moms come with their children. Well, uh, we got an inquiry. Is, are you a LGBTQ friendly church? The elders discussed that, talked about how do we respond to that. We don't want to close doors. We want to. We don't want to. Um, we want to protect the church. We discussed that for ten days, a week and a half. Finally, sent a response back, and um, we've not heard further from that um, situation. So we're sort of holding our breath and praying about that. Um, 
This came out of the blue. There was an accusation against one of the shepherd's family members about some incident decades ago. No substantiation. And aside from the not meeting the scriptural requirement of not bringing a charge without witnesses, just to have that hand grenade thrown into the eldership um, was distracting, to say the least. We had anticipated, uh, we had identified a couple of men who would help lead a new felt needs ministry. They both have suffered personal setbacks in their uh, situation. Uh, uh, One of my fellow elders, a a good friend, uh, he and his wife learned in November, so about three and a half weeks after that vision announcement that she had a serious heart issue on Wednesday of this week. Uh, Julie and I were at the hospital waiting with uh, with him while his wife uh, had open heart surgery. Um, that same day, there were three other, that day and the next, there were three other serious surgeries. The elders literally had to divide up and go different. We were at simultaneously at different hospitals. And so when I left to fly here, I was wondering, what next? We don't know. But, um, and this is, we're coasting to the finish line here now. Um, there, I'm not sure how to communicate, how to word this. Um, now and at previous times, it seemed like um, we're, we're given glimpses of glory, <laughs> glimpses of um, our present future. And I, I've committed to memorizing this passage from Hebrews 12. This is, the, this is the two mountain peaks, right? Fear and joy. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel. Um, Experiences Passages on the journey like uh, my fellow elders and I have just had make this so precious. <laughs> and brings us to the final stretch. None of us know if we are in the final stretch yet. Um, Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
Um, I look more and more <laughs> to my own shepherd. Maybe that's part of the refining. Um, and I, you know, Scott read the, the passage, First um, John 3, 1. Uh, the, this is one of the sons of thunder writing this, <laughs> John. Um, and that is what we are, children of God. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't know how I didn't see so much in the Gospels for so many years the, the way Jesus lived. That's part of, uh, I guess, maturing. Uh, part of the Lord's blessing. It gives me more contentment. It gives me more peace for the church as well as myself. Um, I'm teaching a class right now on Sundays with uh, a a young brother. Um, The Psalms. And I've discovered so many new, wonderful psalms. This is the one I'd like to end with, because this is what's speaking to me. This is the, the best-known psalm. But listen as I, as I read it to myself and to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. None of Satan's attacks. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And let's pray. Lord, only you know uh, the complete journey for each of us as shepherds beginning with the time before we even become shepherds. We believe that the story ends well. We believe that um, there are and will be thousands upon thousands of angels in glory with you. We want to be there. We want to be faithful in shepherding the church that you bought with your son's blood. Lord, encourage us, give us the strength, give us the perspective. Help us above all just to be faithful. Help us learn from um, those who have gone the way before us. We pray um, for your blessing on each one of us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you.
Well, it's been a great uh, day today. We're looking forward to tomorrow. We'll be back here at 9.45 in the morning for